0: What is up, everybody, and welcome back to episode number 12 of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Rizzotto, and we are joined with F.P. Santangelo, Jr., producer, production assistant at NBC Sports Bay Area. This guy wears a ton of hats, Um, played a little baseball in his time. We'll get into that a little bit later. But we have some breaking news, and as we know, the Players Association and Major League Baseball have been in constant negotiations regarding – Uh, having a season, constructing a plan to play. Um, So they voted today, and they voted just now, right before we came on here. And um, according to Jesse Rogers, who is well-respected within the Chicago area, and, uh, of course, Jeff Passan of ESPN, the Players Association has voted against major League baseball's 60 game proposal by a vote of thirty three to five now these are union representatives um, and a lot of people in the industry don't think this is surprising just some background information here uh, Jim Bowden of, of excuse me MLB network radio and ESPN tweeting this out uh, players voted on sixty games full pro rated salaries no salary guaranteed an uh, event In the event that games might not be played $25 million minimum playoff pool in 2020, if fewer uh, than 50 games played, then 2021 um, will not have the expanded DH or will not have the expanded playoffs and the DH will be removed from the original plan of the national league adapting it. Uh, And then the fifth one was no additional salary advance relief. Uh, and then the sixth one is known modifications to the qualifying offer. Uh, so this is crazy. And of course, I think people are going to think that Rob Manfred is now going to implement a season, which is going to either be 54 to 60 games. So I know that's a lot to take in. And um, Buster only also tweeting this out. Uh, the dominoes are likely to tumble. One, implementation of a short season by Major League Baseball, which is what I just mentioned. Two, some players choosing not to play. Uh, three, PA grievance, which is the big one here. Four, upcoming free agents get destroyed in market. And five, all major labor issues merely deferred to next spring. So he describes it as mutually assured destruction. FP, that was a lot to take in. What are your thoughts here?
1: Yeah, it's not good, Steven. Uh, Really having trouble getting that late inning run support right now. (laughs) You want to put it in baseball terms, but I think it is mutually assured destruction. I want to give the players more the benefit of the doubt, though, because when you go through all the factors and you go, they only have four or five, I think it's like five and a half years on average is their career. Like to make all the money for the rest of your life. A lot of these guys don't even have college degrees. I always side with the players in this situation. This is going to look bad for players, though, because they've been tweeting out when and where for the past, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks now. And that's kind of been a hashtag and a trend to show, hey, we, we just want to play. We want to play. But at the same time, these guys want to play meaningful games. And if you only have 50 games, well, guess what? Guys aren't going to want to lower their value. They don't want to lower their – their own worth, whether it's in arbitration the next year, whether it's in free agency, whether it's their legacy. A lot of these guys already are set and have their long-term contracts. 50 games in a fake ring are not worth getting hurt, getting your family exposed to a deadly virus that's, in fact, exploding in a second wave right now. You should be compensated, paid correctly, and you should be playing enough meaningful games. Uh, A lot of the players I've talked to think that a lot of guys are going to go on strike potentially just because of what I just said. I mean, it's just not worth it. It's, it's really not worth it. But if you do 70 games, if you do 80 games, if you do more games, okay, you're getting paid more, and at least you're trying like the other leagues are. Like the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, they're trying to pay their players. They're trying. And for some reason, Major League Baseball and the ownership groups are not trying and actually I could just tell you the reason right now it's because they want to implement a salary cap and they're using this pandemic as a leverage to hopefully implement the salary cap in the future with the next CBA. So they said, you know, what? we're not going to even worry about this season. We're going to worry about next season too. We're going to put all these problems together. That's why you're seeing like, wait a minute, the DH, whoa, all these playoff teams all of a sudden are getting thrown in together. Like this is crazy. Why is all this happening at once? Well, it's because people are so fixated on money that they're trying to like sneak in these new rule changes too. So they're, they're effectively even trying to create a new CBA right now and players are so smart that they're not putting up with it. And you know, they did the one where thing they're going to get crushed for that, for rejecting this uh, latest proposal. But uh, for me, I think you got to stand your ground. If you're a player, you do.
0: As far as major league baseball, and the grievance issue here, is that something that um, major league baseball would, lose in a case to the players grievance
1: well this is very interesting that you bring this up Stephen, because they would actually win it they'd win it by a large margin because the data shows that you can fit in 70 to 80 games right now that's very possible to do and the players know this but rob manfred who is essentially the puppets he's the puppet of the owners he's just gonna do whatever they say if he stalls and he keeps on getting this no, yes, no, 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 no. He rejects all these different offers, and it stalls for another month. Well, guess what? You're going to only be able to play 50 games, and you're going to win. And that means the grievance is going to mean nothing anymore. So they're trying to stall, so that way the players won't win this grievance, which is, which is pretty, pretty shady in my opinion. Uh, it's very unfortunate, really, Stephen, because honestly, we all just want to like watch baseball. A lot of you guys want to play baseball and uh it's like i don't know it's just it's a really really tough situation a whole generation of kids really could have lashed on to baseball loved it the owners could have grown their investments uh the players could have inspired a whole generation of kids and now we're over here doing nothing because of
0: (laughs) exactly so i think a lot of a lot of it has to do with the owners and there's a report i you know i don't know the exact number but five to eight, maybe five to 10 owners that didn't even want to play in the first place. And my personal opinion is they'd lose big at the gates because of the lack of fans that are going to be there. Um, And that's not the only reason, but I think that's one of many. So is it worth playing? Cause I know there's, there's also been some recent positive tests. We look at the Clemson football team, them getting back together and there's some positive tests there. Phillies camp in Clearwater um you know Giants I know they they just had their camp shut down after uh, somebody was symptomatic or something like that so is it worth playing this year even with this pandemic still raging on
1: I think so I think it's very important to at least try and it all goes back to trying the NBA is trying the NHL is trying the NFL is they're trying their hardest to college all they're all just trying and at the end of the day, it looks like baseball isn't trying and they're making a laughing stock of themselves because they're worried about money. While well, I think it's probably over 50 million people now are unemployed and we're going to go into a recession here soon just because of the fact of the matter. Everything's been shut down and it will shut down again. Unfortunately, if you look at the numbers, COVID's skyrocketing again. So the players know this. They know they may, probably won't even finish the season. They just want to give people those few games, but they don't want to give leverage to the owners too, because if they do give leverage to the owners, then all of a sudden like this weird DH rule that a lot of people do want, but is implemented. And then now you have all these new teams in the playoff system. You expanded, I think it was 16 teams, right? Something yeah, that's crazy. Like that. You're going to have teams under 500 in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like that's just weird, man. Like that's not how baseball's supposed to be. So for me, the players are smart enough to realize this. They want to give kids – and people hope and want to help heal this nation, but they don't want to get screwed over while doing it too.
0: Yeah. And I think it means a lot. Like you mentioned, the other sports that they're getting stuff done. And um, I think the key word there is try and baseball doesn't look like they want to go down that route into trying harder. Um, As for the CBA, you brought up an interesting point and I want to get back to that. Um, The CBA expires at the end of the 2021 season And the last one, if I'm not mistaken, the last one got pretty messy too, but they did end up working something out. Um, If something doesn't get done here and games aren't played, that CBA, you know, you got to imagine that there's going to be no momentum towards it at all. Um, And that could be a really, really, really bad thing.
1: Absolutely.
0: What's going to happen is
1: if they don't come to a agreement here soon, the whole entire next season is gone. It's, it's the fact of the matter. It's going to be gone because the owners are going to come at the players and say, we can't pay you. We didn't even have a season to profit off of last time. We're going to have trouble even deferring your payment. And the players are like, wait a minute, you can't even pay us when things are back to normal now. What's this all about? And it's going to be a huge ordeal once again about money, but the players are fighting for their rights I did write about how it's a very smart business tactic to implement a salary cap if you're a major league owner. It really is. And there's a lot of benefits to it as well, too. I personally believe in a free market system, you should be paid for your worth so you can have those ridiculous contracts because you've earned it yourself. But I see where the owners are coming from, too, and why they're trying so hard to implement a salary cap. But they're trying so hard that they're ruining the sport. And that's where you need to back off a little bit. Like, hey, let's just play this season. So that way we can maybe play next season. That way we're not destroying our investment. But their investment is a joke right now. It's an embarrassment. Baseball, fortunately, is a joke of a sport. And it already was trending that way, too. At least you played it or you grew up with it. Baseball just – As of like 20 years, like the past 20 years, it's just been just a sport. It's been a hobby for for most people. And for us, it's like the most romantic thing in the world. And it's the greatest thing to ever happen. But we had that opportunity to make it cool again. I'm sure you watched The the Long Summer with Sammy Sosa. I did. That's where we could have gotten to again. But Mm – Things are panning out the way that they are. And I hope people realize why they're panning out that way.
0: For sure. And I think a lot of us kind of hoped for, uh, and there's still hope for a summer like that. I think it's a success if we do get baseball uh, for sure. So here's a statement right now from the Players Association that they just released. Released. It says, quote, The Major League Baseball Players Association Executive Board will uh, met multiple times in recent days to assess the status of our efforts to resume the 2020 season. Earlier this evening, the board reaffirmed the players' eagerness to return to work as soon as safety as possible, as soon and as safely as possible. To that end, we anticipate finalizing a comprehensive set of health and safety protocols with Major League Baseball in the coming days, and we await word from the league on the resumption of spring training camps. In a proposed 2020 schedule. While we had hoped to reach a revised back-to-work agreement with the league, the players remain fully committed to proceeding under our current agreement and getting back on the field for the fans, for the game, and for each other. "End quote." Anything new? Change your thoughts on based on this statement? The statements
1: all ultimately are empty. <laughs> yeah um, from player side even from the owner side i know what the goals are at the end of the day what they're trying to do and i'll i, I just i don't know man it's, it's a tough situation because you understand where the owners are coming from from a business perspective but then you really understand where the players are coming from and like i told you earlier in this interview i always will side with the players mm-hmm. i really have to dissect that statement just a little bit more i'm one of those guys that has to like read a statement before just like listening to it but Um, what are your thoughts on it?
0: Well, (laughs) the whole thing has been complicated. And I think, uh, like you, like we were talking about earlier, I think a lot of the owners, um, don't want to play. And I think Rob Manfred is a puppet for the owners. I think you used a good word there. Um, but yeah, the players have been, have been venting this whole when and where for the past couple weeks. And, Major League Baseball needs to honor this, and I think seventy-five games would work. And I think they have the capacity to do that. I think personally, sixteen teams and sixteen teams, the DH, and trying to um, work all of this as if it's the CBA for twenty twenty-one that could wait. But I feel there's a lot. I feel like there's a lot more simpler, uh, and I'm sure I described that bad. But there's a lot more simpler negotiations that could be happening right now. But I just feel like it's it's kind of being overshadowed by the elephant in the room, which is the next CBA. And I think there's too much worry about that and not enough worry about what's going to happen on the field this season. Does that make sense? You
1: no, know, that makes perfect sense. That's exactly mm-hmm. what is happening right now. They're so worried about the future that they're ruining the future. Anyway. Exactly.
0: So in terms of safety, um, if they do come back and play, What are some guidelines? Because they released a big 40, 50 page set of guidelines if they do come back and six feet in the dugout and switch the baseballs, which they normally pretty much do anyways. Can't spit, no seeds. I mean, for baseball lifers, this is going to be really tough to adjust to. So, Commissioner F.P. Jr., what would you do to put in place? What guidelines would you put in place? to make things run smoother?
1: Ooh, this is a really good question. I really haven't thought about this. i really take the KBO model. They've mm-hmm. really had, had no problems whatsoever. So I would see what they're doing well and effectively. I would see what Japanese league's doing well and effectively. See what they're doing over, I think, in uh, China, like Chinese Taipei leagues. They're even playing over there. I think they just started. They just started. Mm-hmm. And they haven't really had any problems yet. I haven't heard anything about somebody testing positive over the KBO, and I know it's a very different situation. It's The numbers are way down. Nothing's growing over there in terms of contamination, more people becoming infected. So that helps a lot too, trust me. But it, it just, it comes down to, you're just going to have to take a chance on the situation. And when you are an investor, you are an owner, you have to take chances. And they took chances their entire lives to become billionaires and to to have the the money that they do have. And they they came into the money sometimes and other times they invest in other places. But for me, yeah, I would
0: just follow what the KBO is doing. They're doing it really well. For sure. So back to the DH. And (laughs) I want to talk about the DH because it's, it's really divided in terms of if you want the DH, if fans want the DH, if fans don't want the DH, the casual fan, the one that's been around the game, Um, I think they're kind of the ones that fall in the middle, but the old school guys, they obviously don't want it. The guys that are kind of on this, this new revelation of baseball thinking, they think that the pitching hitting pitchers hitting isn't the way to go and the DH should be implemented. So me personally, I'd prefer it not to be. Um, but I also, you know, if, if it is implemented in the coming years, I would not jump off a bridge. Like that is not the worst thing in the world. Um, I think strategy would still be in the game now with um, matchups and, and bullpens. Even though the three relief, the three batter minimum thing, um, there's still plenty of strategy in baseball, and I'm not worried about that aspect going out the door. But what do you think about the DH? Would you be for it? Would you be against it? Thoughts? I think the most beautiful thing in baseball is how there's
1: two different leagues, and if you like the DH, you could tune into an AL game. Mm-hmm. If you don't like the DH, you could turn into an NL game. And it's two different experiences of baseball. And they really are different if you do follow the game as closely as we do. For others, it's just like, oh, another guy that can hit well. Sure, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And I know baseball is trying to appeal to the fan, but you don't also want to change something that's been working so well. Somebody who tweeted at me, it's actually a really, really good tweet, said it's Bam Bam versus Romance. Do you want bam-bam or do you want romance? And some of us love the romance of the game. I love it. That's how I fell in love with the game of baseball. And I want kids one day, hopefully my kids, to fall in love with the sport the way I did. And honestly, not having a DH is one of those great things because you have those moments where Bumgarner hits two home runs in a game. He takes Kershaw deep and they're staring each other down the old rules of baseball. I mean, nobody even knows that if you didn't throw a fastball to a pitcher back in the day and you throw an off-speed pitch, you're brawling the next the next inning mm-hmm. it was such a sign of respect to throw fastballs to pitchers back in the 60s and 70s that they would throw fastballs as hard as they can and it was just country hardball to their fellow pitchers so these are the, the great things in the game that I think are just amazing and it, it shows the culture and where the game has come from if you want to erase that just to get a, a, a quick cash grab and get a couple more casual fans involved that's that's silly to me you're, you're erasing history effectively and the culture of the game. So I have a huge problem with it. I'm 25 years old, which is pretty young in the sense of being a baseball fan. I'm, I'm not even in the demographic. I think most baseball fans are between 50 and 65 years old, something insane like that. But for me, just keep it one league and the other league. It's, it's such a beautiful thing and it makes the sport so unique. Why would you want to change it? Just because, like I said, somebody can hit another home run. Okay, cool. Everybody can hit home runs now. But what if a pitcher just laces one up the middle out of nowhere or he actually takes his craft seriously like Zach Reinke does, Max Scherzer, all these guys do. Bumgarner, he puts on a display of batting practice. That's just go fun to see yourself too.
0: Exactly. And I, <laughs> I whenever I think of pitchers hitting, I think of James Shields James in that Shields. memorable day. <laughs> James Shields, the memorable day at Petco Park and Bartolo Colon taking him deep. I digress. Yep. Speaking of the DH, and I think you'll you'll completely agree with me on this, Barry Bonds, 55 years old, would fit well in any lineup as the designated hitter. Right now, he could still play. Um, and you, like me, also are a bold believer that Barry Bonds should be in Cooperstown. And I know you've written about this on Ryan Spader's site, theaceofspader.com. Um, summarize your thoughts when it comes to the home run king.
1: Barry Bond. So I have a personal relationship with him. So it's a little bit biased, but at the same time, if you look at it uh, objectively, he's obviously one of the greatest hitters of all time. It's insane what he does and what he has done. I mean, when he was, he wasn't getting pitches and he was still hitting home runs out and he broke the home run record. Like he was getting one pitch, maybe a game to hit and then he would hit that one pitch. That's an incredible feat. If you never played the game, but I've had this weird internal struggle with barry going to the hall of fame i want him to be in cooperstown i want him to be remembered but i think it would also be really cool that he was the guy that was bigger than cooperstown like he was so good that they can't even put him in the hall of fame he's bigger than the hall of fame and i think he is honestly he really is because if you don't put barry bonds in the hall of fame who's going to the hall of fame i'm not i've I've never been to the hall of fame before But I've told people, if Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame, why do I need to go? I do love baseball, too, a lot, and I think there would be a lot of cool things in that museum. But it's got no credibility to me if the best baseball player of all time, whether you think he did steroids or not, still the greatest hitter of all time. You can pump anybody full of steroids. You can pump any single hitter full of steroids. Even if you think Ken Griffey Jr. did or didn't, based on what you heard.
0: Three guys think he did.
1: Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot of speculation that he did. And knowing that era, I would not be surprised whatsoever. But if you put your favorite player basically on steroids that's not already been accused, I'm sorry. There's, there's no way he even touches Barry Bonds' numbers whatsoever or what he achieved or accomplished. It's just not going to happen. And that's, that's true greatness. And then when you put the mythology behind it and the stories where there's just a story after another story, I think one of my favorites was that mammoth home run and Yankee Stadium. And I forgot who the pitcher was, but he gave up a bomb. And, you know, John Miller's on the call saying, watch out, that one's headed to New Jersey. Like, yeah, everybody knows the exact home run. I'm High off.
0: into the upper deck.
1: Yeah, it was just crushed, right? And apparently that pitcher said, I'm throwing Barry a first pitch fastball. There's no way he can hit one up and in off me. And Barry and got wind of that and he said, I would love to see that MF or try. <laughs> That's what, first pitch, boom, see ya. And that's just Barry Bonds. Those are the legends of Barry Bonds. There's so many stories like that. I mean, the the greatest at-bat of all time. You know which one I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Cy Young versus MVP, Eric Gagne versus Barry Bonds. Eric Gagne's throwing like 101, and he's just throwing the nastiest change-ups, curveball sliders of all time, and Barry's just spitting on them, and they're on the black.
0: How about, the, how about the, the foul ball that was pulled? Hundred ninety nine mile an hour fastball pulled foul in the McCovey Cove. It would
1: never happen. Like, like, that doesn't happen. People don't realize that. And then the, the, the crazy part is like, oh, it's steroids. It's just because of steroids. No, it's not. If you put Barry Bonds, getting back to your question, if you put Barry Bonds in the lineup right now, 55 years old, he would still hit about
0: 270. Oh, 100%. 100%. No, I don't know
1: if he has the power numbers, and that would be unfortunate because everyone's like, oh, it's so the steroids, but that's just an age thing. But his hand-eye coordination and his, his pitch selection, his baseball IQ is nothing nobody will ever see again. In my life, I don't think I will. I hope I'm wrong because I'd love to see somebody, like obviously be the next Barry Bonds or be something like it. People say Mike Trout, but for me, there, there's, no, there's no legacy. There's no legend around him. It's mm-hmm. just he's a really great baseball player, and that's awesome. And I hope he changes my mind. I hope you know, he, he fits that mold as time goes on, but – Dude, Barry Bonds is so good that he could get in a lineup today, I think probably put 10 out in a regular season, 10 to 15, and hit 270. Oh, absolutely.
0: Insane. Mm-hmm.
1: The, my, my, another story, uh, obviously you probably remember this too, and I hope some people remember this, is he had a home run competition when he was with the Marlins as the hitting coach with Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah. In the backfield in spring training, it was off a slider machine. Now, if you've never hit off a pitching machine before and you never hit off a slider machine, those things suck. You can't get your timing right. You don't even read the spin that well because it's not out of hand. It's just like a guessing game. So him and Stan went toe-to-toe, and Barry beat Stanton. And that's Barry not even taking hacks, not even practicing, not doing anything. That was out of his bed beating Giancarlo Stanton in a home run derby contest off a slider
0: machine. Yeah, and like, the stories – like- Exactly. The stories I feel like are the most legendary part of Barry Bonds and I think you hear the ones about um you know him telling the on deck batter okay he's going to throw me a fastball in then he's going to then he's going to go down the way with the changeup or something and he was spot on and I think Kruken and Kipe, uh I think I heard that from Kruken and Kipe. But everybody I hear all the time the arguments against him the arguments for him I feel are Endless. They're endless. You know, the 400-400 club before 1999, which was year number one that he was recorded to have done the stuff he did with Balco and everything. But he was already 400-400, already had the seven gold gloves, seven, eight gold gloves, whatever it may be. Yes, he was far better than anybody else facing pitchers that were also on the same stuff that he was on and still, like, completely terrorizing them. But the biggest one for me is and I know people inducted in Cooperstown feel differently about this. They kind of feel as if they're a fraternity. You know, the Hall of Famers and I've heard bogus stuff and I think Joe Morgan might have been at the front uh front and center of it. We're not gonna go if Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens are inducted. It's a fraternity a for the those guys. guys but a you know the guys that say that did stuff. Exactly greenies and phenomies those things were big in the 70s those things were big in the 80s. Um and I think a lot of the reasons why just to stick up for a second for those guys in this generation um a lot of the reasons why people did, you know, maybe not necessarily for the the sense of it's going to enhance my performance but they wanted to get up in the morning feeling good. 162 games in 180 days is crazy travel you know getaway days they want to get up in the morning and some people don't even know that this enhances their performance it just does and they're like oh wow i gained you know 50 pounds or not 50 pounds 20 pounds of muscle what happened um so i think there's a lot of misinterpretation but at the end of the day i will stand by this statement for as long as i live cooper's town is a museum and you can't go from the 19 you know late 80s maybe even started before then, you can't go from the late 80s straight to the 2010s. It doesn't work that way. You can't mm-hmm. skip over an entire era. And I could go on for hours about the steroid era. I was born in the middle of it. So, of course, I don't know the uh, specifics of the feels of it. But I've done my homework. As you may know, I'm a, I'm a baseball history book nerd. And I've read up on this. I've read up the, the documentary with Sosa McGuire. Loved it um so yeah that's my rant also i want to bring up with you um your dad fp santangelo senior actually was a big league baseball player so those of you guys that um may think fp junior's name sounded familiar it does so you mentioned you have a personal relationship with barry do you have any did do you remember having any run-ins as a kid with maybe some of your dad's teammates opponents um oh yeah so what's your best story there?
1: Uh, I got so many good ones. But the first one that comes off the top of my head right now, and it'll be another one if you ask me another question <laughs> at a different time. My favorite was when my dad, at the very end of his career, it's 2002, I think 2003, he was in spring training with the New York Yankees. Didn't make the team. That's why he was never a Yankee. But he was in spring training with them. And my dad wanted me to meet Derek Jeter really bad because he knew how great he was. Obviously, he already had the pedigree at that time in 2002 t- 2003. So I'm at a mall and my dad just pulls my arm. I don't know. I'm like maybe like nine years old, something like that. Pulls my arm, jerks me over. and He's like, hey, that's Derek Jeter. Like, I want you to meet him. And I'm like, okay. it's Derek Jeter. That- that's awesome. This is amazing. But we're in a mall and he makes me go up the reverse way on the escalator because so many people are crowded. <laughs> then he picks me up, and then he like he goes on the other way of the escalator and like runs up it. It was really funny. And then he drops me down, and then I just see a horde of people around somebody. This is Derek Jeter at a mall, and the first thing I notice is how many women are around him. He's got so many women fawning. Like this dude's just trying to shop, and girls are going crazy, like screaming, like dropping on the ground and fainting. And then he comes up to me. I'm a little boy, right? And then he goes, Hey, what's up? I'm Derek Cheater. Nice to meet you. And I like, shake his hand, like nice to meet you. I, like a little kid does. And all the girls just went berserk because it's Derek Cheater, like meeting a little, little boy, a little baseball fan. Aww. And that was just one of the funniest <laughs> moments to me of all time. And I, like, even at the time I didn't. it was weird when you grew up at, in, in clubhouses. So my dad got called up to the big leagues in 1995. I was born March 12th. My dad got called up April 2nd. So I grew up in baseball. I was always in the clubhouse. These guys were like my uncles, right? So I I wasn't like, Oh, like, Oh my God, it's Derek Jeter. I was like, Oh cool. This is Derek Jeter. Like this is, this is pretty cool situation. Like I'm glad I'm finally getting to meet him, but it wasn't always like, Oh my God. Like, like fans do, because I like, for me, they're just normal people and they still are. They're just really good at what they do and they bring a lot of happiness to people. So the romanticism of meeting celebrities and players wasn't always there for me. But when I met Derek Jeter, I was just like, this is pretty funny and cool that there's so many women around him and fawning over him meeting like, a, like an eight-year-old kid.
0: So you've probably been asked this a million times, but to expand on that, what was it like being in the environment? What was it like being in the clubhouse before the game? What was that like um, for you to grow up in that environment? It was really cool. Going
1: from that environment back home to school to public school was really, really tough because I didn't, I I couldn't really make the the disconnect there. I thought everything should be like a big league clubhouse. So I, I've been on. It should be, to be honest. Go on. I don't know about that, man. I don't know about that. There's some (laughs) things that go on in clubhouses that are not (laughs) school appropriate. First thing that happened is I got taught a lot of bad words at a young age because players thought it was really funny. So they'd be like, go call your dad a so-and-so. i would be walking around the locker room, like, hey, go tell your dad this. And they whisper something in the ear. I'm like, okay. Then I go walk over, five-year-old me, be like, hey, dad, you're so-and-so. And they'd be like, who said that? Who did that? And then everyone's like laughing in their locker across the way. So I learned a lot of new words and concepts that a kid my age probably shouldn't. But it was so relaxed, carefree, and fun. And everything was so loose and, and happy. And everyone's just always happy to be at a baseball field. So then when I went back to school or I went back to my hometown of Eldorado Hills, California, I was like, okay, why isn't everybody else like this? Like my, my favorite thing I ever said was apparently I was asking everybody my first day of school, what team does your dad play for? <laughs> That's just how it was. Like I just was like, okay, everybody's dad must play baseball because mine does. I didn't know any different. So that was, that was, uh, that was interesting. There's a lot of, a lot of positives and a lot of negatives from it. Overall, a very unique experience growing up for sure.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about the negative. So it's, I know it's tough. Well, I don't know, <laughs> but I'm sure it's tough, especially with, you know, dad being on the road all the time. How did you adjust to that aspect? Um, sorry, there's gardening work going on next door. Oh, you're how, good. Did, <laughs> how did you adjust to that aspect of him? Maybe not being home all the time.
1: I didn't really realize it until I was probably six years old because I was like, I just noticed everybody else's dad was there and mine wasn't. And I saw him a lot and I realized what he was doing. So there's never like any, oh, my dad's never there type of a deal. The hardest part for me was starting to realize that when I did play baseball, people would hold me to a higher standard than everybody else. Where if I did well, it's like, okay, well, he's a big leaguer son. Who cares? There'd no be like, oh, great job getting those two knocks to AFP. You did great. It'd be like, on to the next kid that did something good. So there's no praise there. There's always an expectation. He's already supposed to be good. Who cares? I'm not going to do anything for this kid whatsoever. So that, that I realized that like, you think you're an athlete's kid and you're going to be put on a pedestal and everyone's going to love you and all these different things. Like, no, they want their kids to do good. So, they're going to make your life a little bit harder. And I've talked to a lot of different athletes, kids, and they all experience the same thing. So, everyone's like, oh, he, he got it easy and it's just because of his dad. No, nah, it gets a little harder, especially when dad isn't around. So, that was a weird thing. And then when he did bad, it was almost like everybody was talking about it. Like, oh my God, did you see Sant'Angelo? He hasn't gotten a hit in like three games. I'm in Little League. You're talking about a 12 year old kid. So there's a lot of that that goes around and it makes you tougher. It makes you handle pressured situations a lot more effectively. So it's a blessing and a curse at the same time, but it is, it is weird. It's different. (laughs) And a lot of people can't relate to you, but that's why I always root for sons of baseball players that are getting through the farm system or they're in major league baseball because they just, they even have an expectation. Even you as a fan, right? Vladimir Guerrero Mm -hmm. Jr. Oh, he's Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s Son. He's got to be great. It's like, no, he's his own person, man. He's his own player. He's going to have his own stats. He has his own baseball card. But everyone's going to hold him to the standard of his dad and his family name. And that's just how it is.
0: Yep. So you mentioned um, you did play baseball and you carried on that baseball gene yourself uh, into college. Did Did you ever feel um, that, like, starting off kind of different from what we just mentioned in terms of being held to a higher standard – when you started out playing baseball, did you ever feel maybe forced to play baseball or was this all on you?
1: Oh, I felt so forced to play baseball. <laughs> I did. I didn't even want to play it until seventh grade. I got hurt and I was in a horrible mindset. This game sucks. Everybody always compares me to everybody. You know, your typical middle school kid that's going through puberty that thinks the world's the hardest thing on earth when it's not really that bad. And I got hurt, and I tore every single tendon and ligament in my left ankle. They didn't know if I was going to be able to run again. It was a horrible, horrible injury. And I was not able to walk for a year. And through that year, I realized how much I missed the game of baseball and how much it meant to me. And that's when I really developed my love, was being away from it made me love it even that much more. So after that, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I was looking up baseball quotes. I was looking up stats. I became a fan of the game, and it wasn't something I had to do anymore. It's something I wanted to do. That was a huge turning point in my life, I think, that injury.
0: So I remember um, when I played in Yonville a couple years ago at the Veterans Home, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think we had a brief exchange, and you mentioned how you played there too. I feel like moments like those – Uh, Make baseball fun. The different places, the teammates, the connections, the long days. I've had plenty of them. Take me through what your baseball career was like. Any moments stand out overall in – as a whole, how was your baseball career?
1: It was really good. My baseball career, I could sleep really well at the end of the night because I worked harder than everybody. I just wasn't good. Plain and simple, I just did not have the talent. And that happens for people, but – I learned work ethic. I learned how to deal with failure. I learned how to deal with pressures. I learned how to be a good teammate. The most important thing, I think, is being a great teammate to everybody. No doubt. So I learned how to be a great teammate, and I really pride myself on that. And that's probably the most important aspect I gained from baseball. Uh, there's so many different memories that like I can talk about and that I can't talk about, especially being in college baseball. <laughs> um, I think uh, a very perfect summation of my career was the last game I ever played. And I still remember it to this day. I haven't really picked up a bat or had a live AB since that game. I went four for four with like four, like three just singles. I barely got through. I was just barely getting it through the infield. And the last one I hit like a double, but I stole five bases because I told myself, this is probably the last game I'll ever play. I'm going to go out with a bang and I'm going to work harder than everybody. So I was working every single pitch I ran on the right count. I did everything because that's the baseball player I was. So that's one of the coolest moments for me. And then at the end of the day, I could sleep well because I know I put everything into it and I tried. A lot of people can't say that. There's even people in the minor leagues that say, damn, I wish I just would have done that. For me though, I did everything I could, man. I did. And I pride myself on that.
0: That's great. Cause obviously my last game came kind of prematurely. I don't, I kind of remember I got a double play ball. But um, <laughs> it's great that you got to um, kind of remember and kind of know that it was your last game. So if Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo were approaching me to come up with a scouting report for a young FP junior, what would it be? Give me a comp. This
1: is a great question. Honestly, I would be a way worse version of Craig Biggio. or Peter I, <laughs> I sprinted everywhere. I would get on top of the dish to get hit on purpose. I would do the little things. I'd I'd bunt really well. I'd get runners over. I'd I'd play the mental game better than anybody because that's all I had. I wasn't good enough to do anything else. I had to get good at the other things. I wasn't going to be the guy to put balls off the wall or to just lace one up the middle when you needed it. I needed to do something to, to create momentum for the team. So that's the kind of guy I was. And, yeah, I, I wouldn't get drafted today. That's for damn sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I
1: didn't get drafted back in the day.
0: So. Yeah. So you took the JUCO route, and it's something I'm in the process of going through right now before transferring to um, Cronkite at ASU. That's a big dream. So, what was that decision like? Because me personally, I think it's severely underrated, and a lot of people look at it as um, something maybe maybe not frowned upon, but um, I personally think it's a it's a great weapon to have. Uh, in terms of getting your general stuff done at a cost-efficient rate. You know, you could work while you're at a JUCO, make some money, and then transfer somewhere where you could be proud of. So take me through going through the JUCO route. What was the decision behind it?
1: So for me, I knew I wanted to go to Sacramento City College. They had one of the highest pedigrees out of any JUCO for baseball. I mean, it's a legendary program. You mentioned Sac City in Major League Baseball Clubhouses, like, oh. City guy, you're a city guy, huh? Because they played so damn hard. They, they have a saying, best speed, you have to sprint to your position, you have to sprint to first on a walk, you have to sprint everywhere. And they run on balls and dirt, they slide hard into bases. If you don't, you're sitting on the bench, don't care how good you are. So they played that level of baseball, that old school dirty baseball. And I think the number was something like 52 big leaguers have come from that program. It's insane. It's more than most Division One programs. It's insanity. They just produce Major League Baseball players because they preach the mental game of baseball too and mental toughness. They really, really push you hard. It's almost like the military. It's been, it's been compared to the military a lot of different times because the the schedule is insane. I would have five a.m. weights. I'd have an hour of conditioning after weights. I go to my two classes. I'd have a twelve o'clock hitting group from twelve to two. Then from two to two thirty, I'd have to eat my lunch real quick, and then from Two thirty, we'd start stretching to have the actual practice of the day till about seven o'clock at night, and then we'd have conditioning after that at seven o'clock, and then I'd have to go to night classes till ten o'clock at night, and then do the next thing the next day. And that work ethic that was instilled in me, I still use it to this day. For sure, and it makes everything else so much easier. In life, you go, oh wow, baseball is really hard. Now I just have to do this. This is easy. I can do that. So the JUCO route for me, baseball-wise. I've even seen it, too, covering Division One baseball. When you have a JUCO kid in there, I don't even have to look at the roster. I can just see that kid and how polished he is. I'm like, oh, that kid came from a junior college. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to see how developed junior college kids are over Division One players because, unfortunately, Division One players are recruited off their talent, right, a lot of the time, and they just coast on their talent. So they can always hit balls really far. That they can't do the the other things that make you a complete polished player, and that's what the minor leagues are for, right? So if you have that raw talent, you'll still get drafted. But when you have that junior college kid come through they had to grind for something, and then he gets the opportunity, and now he's good enough to play at the Division one level, and then he's good enough to go to the minor leagues, he destroys the minor leagues like that is that's nothing for him. But Division one players they they have problems with that sometimes, and you don't pay attention to any of those the, the guys that fall in the later rounds, right? You always pay attention to the the best of the best, the first five-round guys that end up going through the minor leagues pretty quick. But I'm telling you, as a, a shock effect, JUCO kids are the most polished players for sure. And I highly recommend anybody that's between going to a school that they, they kind of want to go to, that's just a four-year school that they think they're going to have a good time, to not settling and going to a school where it's not the best situation, you're not going to have the parties, you're not going to have that recognition on campus, you're just there for baseball – and then actually transfer to that school that's like Vanderbilt or LSU because you grinded so hard. And that's what it's about at the end of the day.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you got to UC Santa Barbara, because you, you're a UC Santa Barbara guy, did you know that you know the broadcast industry was something that you wanted to get into?
1: No. So at the end of my baseball career, I knew I wasn't going to play baseball anymore. I had the grades to go to UC Santa Barbara and transfer, thank goodness. That's why you go to school, kids. <laughs> regardless of what some coaches might tell you, go to school, get good grades. You'd be surprised. There's some coaches like, just oh, like yeah. some no, yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, I'm not good enough coach. I don't you're know. You're an
0: athlete student, not a student athlete.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's the case for some people. And if you're good enough, good for you. But for me, I had to grind for everything. So I transferred to UC Santa Barbara. And the first thing I did was, damn, I'm two years behind everybody. Like I'm really behind. Everybody else has been working on their careers. They know what they want. They have an idea. I was just a communications major that knew I knew how to talk to people, project myself well, talk in front of the classroom. All right. And I like to write. So then I go, okay, I want to stay around baseball. I want to see if I'm good at anything. So I did it all. Like within the first quarter I got within all the clubs, got within the athletic department. I started writing for two different periodicals, the daily Nexus and uh, NCAA press releases for UC Santa Barbara for their athletic department to see if I liked writing. I got a radio show at the local radio station, KCSB. On Wednesdays is a 30-minute show. I created two podcasts and produced them and edited them, and did the whole hour-long process of making a podcast and uploading it, sometimes way longer, especially when you're starting out, as you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I did the play-by-play thing. I did the color analyst thing. I did multiple sports. I covered water polo, I covered basketball covered softball. I just tried stuff and I was fearless because at the end of the day, you just have to see what you're good at. And then I found, okay, this comes natural. This doesn't come so natural. Okay. I think I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to do that. And then eventually I said, okay, I can make a career out of this. And I think that's what more kids need to do when you're going into college. Don't be afraid to fail and just try something. And If you suck, just like laugh at yourself. Like, Oh my God, I'm really bad. My favorite ex- like experience was the worst one I had doing anything sports media wise. I was the PA announcer for senior night for women's basketball at UC Santa Barbara. I didn't watch a single women's basketball game. I felt so horrible. They're coming out with their families with Rosen, oh, no. and I'm butchering names where I'm getting booed. Like I'm getting booed. The PA announcer. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I've never done this in my life. I don't, they, they needed, apparently somebody got sick and I got a phone call from the athletic department. Like, Hey, we need a PA announcer. Just try it. So then I like, looked through the roster. I tried to memorize their names, and then as soon as it happened, I was just Marble Mouth. Hilarious. I was <laughs> like, okay, so I guess I'm not going to be a PA announcer. Cool. All right, that's good. check that off the list. Let's go on the next thing. And that's the mentality that kids need to have. For some reason, everyone's afraid to embarrass themselves, but nah, mm-hmm. you got to just do it.
0: Shoot your shot. Yeah, exactly. My- so I, I saw you tweeted the other day. Um, it was an anniversary of an iconic moment. I saw that uh, at your graduation, you and your roommate actually ordered pizza at your college graduation, and the video went viral. So take me through this iconic moment.
1: I mean, it's pretty simple. We were pretty hungry, like waiting in the back gym, in the gymnasium, the Thunderdome at UC Santa Barbara, where they had all the seniors that were about to graduate, and we were just waiting there for way too long of a time. As I, you can imagine, we had a couple refreshments too. So we were really hungry. And after just like looking around and staring at each other, I'm like, why don't we just order some pizzas? And he's like, dude, that's hilarious. So we were on the phone for an hour trying to get this pizza guy to come through these hordes of people to come near us. And he's wearing his full uniform, <laughs> Domino's guy. And he's like, like, dude, we will tip you so well if you can make this happen. Okay, I got you. When and where? Shows up, hands us the pizzas. Everybody just starts like cheering. It's laugh, like everyone's laughing. It's such a f- funny moment. And then the speaker stopped talking to like stare us down. We're like, you're just boring. Like, we don't want to even hear what you had to say. It was something that had nothing to do with any of the seniors. They were just going on a rant. Super political. It was, just, it was really actually out of tone. Like, a lot of people said that after the fact. So they we're like, you nah, know, we're just going to wear pizza. <laughs> It was great. So. So One of the <laughs> few decades of college that you'll experience, I'm sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I had to ask about that. Uh, so you did some work. You did some work at KMBR for a few years or for a year. And you're now at NBC Sports Bay Area. What kind of role do you have there? And uh, what are the duties that come with it?
1: At KMBR or NBC now?
0: Uh, or both. NBC. Both. Or, yeah, both. Touch on both right, if you both. want.
1: So at KMBR, I was uh, – a producer, show producer. What you do there primarily is you book guests. So I reached out to agents. I reached out to people that I knew through baseball that I ran into around the ballpark that I thought would be topical for discussion for the day. And that's really, really tough to do. You need about three per day. So that's three very well-known people with a following that you need to contact with either through a media guide, their agent, set it up weeks, months in advance, something like that. And you have to really organize and put yourself into a schedule. I didn't want to do that. I think that's great that people do that and they do their jobs really well. I know a lot of people at 95.7 and KMBR that just crush it doing that. For me, I didn't want to be a guest booker. I wanted to do more. And actually when I did my original show with Kevin Franzen, former Major League Baseball player for the Giants, Phillies, and Nationals, and Drew Hoffer, who's an absolute saint, one of my favorite people, voice of God. I told him like, I'm not going to book guests. We're going to just do fun things instead. We're going to have segments. So it was a very segment driven show where we got super goofy and I told him we're going to have to make the show a party because everyone's afraid to miss out on a good time. And we did that and we had better ratings than the golden state warriors when they were really good for like four or five months. And people were so surprised. like Oh my goodness. You're not even booking guests. We're doing well because you don't need to just book somebody to book somebody. And that was my philosophy. So Eventually, I saw that the industry just likes a lot of gas. I like to get a lot more creative. I like to have a lot more fun than that because the guests are very hit or miss. You don't know if they're in a good mood. You don't know if they're going to mesh with your talent well. So I went over to NBC and they said, okay, let's, let's see what you can do here. We're going to kind of groom you to be a, a full-time producer eventually. You're going to start out as an APPA and that's where I'm kind of in right now in in this weird purgatory because of COVID. But eventually what I want to do is I want to be a talent. I want to be on front of the camera. I want to write and I have been writing a lot more. Talent stuff will come eventually, but I've expressed that. And I just wanted to see over at NBC too how all the little cogs and wheels work. So that way, if I ever had my own show one day, which is a huge aspiration of mine is to have like a late night talk show for sports. I knew about everything that went into it and the time restraints and not overworking people and making sure people aren't underworking as well. So that's very important to me. And I've been taking a lot of notes every single day over at NBC, how the business works. It's very important to understand that you think you just can get into a business and be good at it. You can, but then there's a lot of drama and politics behind the scenes that people don't realize as well. A lot of red tape. It's really hard, especially when you're at a company like NBC, they do things the right way over at NBC and they want to make sure they don't get sued or they don't do this or, or don't do that. They don't offend people. And I'm so appreciative that they're like that because it's teaching me a lot. So that was a huge change for the move too. And I just want to get into television because it's television. It's just a lot more clean cuts, more challenging. You have to be in and out. It's, it's I love the challenge. I love challenges. And that is the most challenging thing you could do right now, being TV. So,
0: mm-hmm. so your dad also transitioned into the broadcast industry uh serving he's he did some stuff with cambier a while back he's now the color guy next to bob carpenter in the washington nationals booth um if you guys don't know who bob carpenter is see you later yeah um so after so if if you were to turn on the tv to watch a baseball game would it be a giants game first and then a nationals game do you split time how does that work (laughs) It just, it
1: just, depending on the game, honestly, I'm looking yeah. at the players first and foremost. If it's a good matchup, I'm watching the matchup. I'm not listening for the broadcasters. I'm listening for the players. And the best broadcasters know that. Mm-hmm. Kai and Kruko know that. They're not there for them. They're there for the players. Like, the fans watching are there for the players. They're not for the broadcasters. So they do a great job of painting that picture for you. John Miller, Dave Fleming, same exact thing. Here in the Bay Area, we are so blessed to have just, best to ever do it really I think in my eyes but I like to listen around the league It's all it's all based on matchups I usually get the MLB package one of my favorite broadcasters is Tom Hamilton the Indians Mm -hmm. broadcaster on the radio side oh my goodness he's phenomenal if you haven't heard his calls please look him up incredible how he can yell and still be under control his voice really hard to do Mm -hmm. Trust me. just try yelling and try to be under control But I don't know. Something you will like, though. This is a game I play whenever I'm in a room with my friends and my dad's on the TV. I'll text him like, hey, I'm with my friends right now. Can you do me a favor? He's like, sure. And I ask around the room, what do you want him to say on TV right now? (laughs) And they will be like, make him say stupendous. I'm like, all right. So then I get my phone. Like, hey, say stupendous in this next, like, two blocks right here when you're talking and you're like that swing right there is just absolutely stupendous and he'll <laughs> say that like on a national broadcast and that's really funny to me he'll fit in words sometimes, obviously not inappropriate ones but words that you're like wait a minute did you just say that
0: yeah <laughs> so, that's funny yeah. um so does, does he does he ever ask like stuff like hey did you hear that i said this last night or does he ever say stuff like that
1: oh Steven, I'm his manager. I'm literally (laughs) his manager. I should be his agent, too. I've made so many decisions for him. We've discussed very important topics that he's gone on air with that I made sure it was a a very logical, sound argument. All these different things to make sure he was going to be put in the best light. The most recent one was the Astro scandal. Mm -hmm. They had their, their game in, I think it was Jupiter, Florida, Maybe not, uh, but no, West Palm Beach, that's where they have their facility. And they share a facility the Astros and the Nationals do. So the first game in the spring training that was televised was between the Astros and Nationals. And they had to address the scandal. And he had to do it in such an articulate way that wasn't going to be too aggressive, but fair. And that's what you try to do at the end of the day as a broadcaster, as somebody in the media. You don't want to be right. You want to get it right. Mm-hmm. And he runs a lot of things by me. And I think it's amazing how he respects my opinions and decisions, but that's something that also led me to this industry. I realized my spoken word and my opinions, my logic are helping this broadcaster who's really good at his job. And like, why why can't I do that? Why mm-hmm. can't I help somebody else and be a producer? So that's where it kind of led me down this path as well. And I just want to try it first. I did other things as well, but. This just seemed to be the most natural thing because I've honestly been doing it my whole life. I've been an advisor and a manager and an agent and all these different things.
0: (laughs) It's funny because I just keep thinking about the, that swing was stupendous and then Bob's probably sitting there like, what the hell?
1: But he (laughs) usually (laughs) says that anyway, so.
0: That's funny. All right, FP, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate the time. Um, Obviously covering breaking news like this today is not easy to do on the spot. Um, So I appreciate your insight like always. Uh, Where can people follow you? Do you want to drop some plugs on us? Uh, You could follow me at
1: FPJR on Twitter, Instagram. Pretty easy to find. There's not too many FPs around. So just look at the guy that looks a little bit younger. That's all I got (laughs) on on his picture. But, yeah, I'll be way more involved, obviously, when sports come back right now kind of hard to talk about sports but mm-hmm. i like to entertain people and do some goofy stuff on twitter anyway so
0: yeah and, and you like to say all right guys i'll be back let me know when something positive happens and you're <laughs> back the next hour so we appreciate that
1: <laughs> anytime anytime can't leave the people waiting
0: all right fp thanks uh, you guys can follow the podcast on twitter at rizzo cast cast and on instagram at RizzoCast. thank you for listening and have a good day